started this morning. We want to welcome everyone to our service here this morning. Thank you for being here, being part of the service. Today we come together to worship the Lord, and it's a great day outside, so we have a good day to worship. If you would, bow with me and let's begin our time together in prayer. Our merciful Father, we are so thankful for all of the things that you do for us. And Father, as we come to this time of our, of our day, we pray that we can come together to worship you, to worship the mighty, awesome God that you are. We pray that you'll be with us as we go through the lesson today. And we pray that you'll be with Ken. You'll give him the right things to say that will motivate us to be better people in your sight. All these things we ask through Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you take out your songbooks, we don't have, well, we might have, we've got a good up there, but I don't have it, so I'll be doing from the songbooks. 457. How firm a foundation.
song we'll sing the first three verses, and then we'll sing the chorus. Father, we're so grateful for this beautiful day. We're so grateful for the rain that comes after it is dry. Father, we're so grateful for so many things. We're so grateful for the food you give when we're hungry. We're so grateful for the joy when we're sad. We're so grateful for the light after the darkness. We're so, so grateful for the opportunities you give us to do good. Father, we're so grateful for the truth you give us when we are given lies. We're so grateful for the choices you give us to follow the right path. Father, we're so grateful that you gave your only son and he came here so that we might be saved. Father, there's so many things that I did not mention that we are so grateful for. And may we always remember these things. May we always pray on them. And we, may we never forget your son came here and made everything 
so possible for each and every one of us to live in, eternal, in eternity with thee. In his name we pray, amen. Using your songbooks, please, part number 415, each step I take, we'll use that as the song of invitation. Getting reverb, which might be a good thing. Before the lesson, it'd be on the screen, and that's the only screen that's working. So, uh, Bobby, can you see if this mic will work? It works. Okay. So I'm going to have to come out here a little bit so I can see up there. This is a rather new song, and it's uh, written by actually a Christian who is still living. So it's, it's very new. It's a song about leaving this world and going to the next one. So let's see. In the moment he appears and the
I'll be reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Good morning, everyone. So I'm assured that this device here will work today. I'm going to rely on it. But if it gives me one problem, I'm abandoning, abandoning, abandoning it immediately. <laughs> I don't have any trouble with woods whatsoever. <laughs> but thank you so much for being here this morning. And man, that song, that that was so great. I can't wait to go home, can you? I cannot wait for that day when we are able to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Now, I don't mind the days that we have now. Those are wonderful times, but man, when I go home, that is going to be something, isn't it? Yes, it is. And for you too. <laughs> So thank you for being here and for participating in our worship this morning. And I know we have several visitors here today, and we're so thankful that you chose to be a part of our assembly here today. And I'm a little like Jerry today, as dry as it has been this morning to see those little rain droplets falling. I really appreciated the list of things for which he said, he was thankful, and then by extension, as he led all of us, that we are thankful for. And those first few lines, Jerry, just really touched my heart. Especially that idea that there's such a great blessing. You know that moment when you've been sad for a long time? That first instance when you finally feel happiness again? Isn't that just the best moment? Been sad for so long and now just have a little joy. That is, that is a big moment. And when we've been in darkness and finally we see light again. To be in a place that you're not comfortable with and then to be able to move from that, the moment that that happens, that is such a great blessing. So as the rain fell, I know that there is the intrinsic value of rain falling on the ground that nurtures and all of that. But I hope when you see those drops fall, it'll remind you of the blessings that God showers upon you in your life. Even the very little things, as Jerry reminded us of in our prayer this morning. I know that you and I, even in this period during our worship, our time of meditation together, that we've studied this passage before from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
But today I want to approach it from a different angle. I don't necessarily just want to talk about its platform as a reminder of us what it takes to become a Christian. But I want to go just to the very basic parts of it. I want us to see the significance that is in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. But before we start, will you pray with me? And when we pray, and I ask God to help me communicate, I pray that you will put your heart into that. And then when I ask God to bless you as a hearer, I pray that you will put your heart into that too, that we can take full advantage of what God has for us today. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time a time that we can spend in worship of you through an examination of your word and its application. I pray, Father, that you will be with all of us as we're meditating upon this word, that it will become effective in us. I pray, Lord, that you will help me as the communicator of your word today to be able to express these simple and fundamental truths that are found here in this short section of scripture. I pray, Lord, that the power in those simple things will flow through us. And I pray, Lord, for uh, the hearers that as they receive these words, that they'll become a part of them, either in terms of building us up, giving us stronger faith, or perhaps today in terms of settling our thoughts, helping us to truly believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And boy, the great response would be obedience to the gospel today. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who needs to hear that message, that they'll hear it and that they will act on it. Thank you for being with us in this process of study and for the good that you will bring out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's some of it. <laughs> That's progress, isn't it? So this is a great text of Scripture to remind us of what Jesus has done. Moreover, brethren, he said, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you have received, and which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That whole message about, especially about that resurrection, there were a lot of questions even in the first century related to the particulars. Is this literal? Is there some figurative part of this? And Paul's assertion here in this text is it's very literal. In fact, if what we're preaching to you isn't literal, if it isn't really a fact, then according to verse 14, he says, as pertains to our preaching, it's empty. And then, of course, 
you know, you've been responding to the preaching aspect of it. So if you're, you're responding to an empty message, then for you, your faith that's based on that, that's also empty. The fact is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the crowning proof of Christianity. And based on that, we have hope and we have faith and we have the promise through it of the remission of sins. So today, as I've already stated, I, I want to do the simplest thing I could do with this text. And that is to dwell on the very famous statements toward the end of it concerning the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I, I really believe that if we can develop that foundation, whether you are already a child of God and you're strengthening your faith or you're trying to become more familiar with those concepts so that you can share that with someone, or maybe it is that you're new to all of this and you're open to what the Bible has to say. Today, I want to share with you what the Bible teaches related to these elements and why they're so significant and how they can be significant, not just in the fact that Jesus was involved in them, but that you can be involved in them too. So let's talk first about the death of Christ. There we go. That looks better. Okay, so the death of Jesus. This text says that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Well, I hear about the death of Jesus, and I know all that we have to say about it usually, but back up from that for a minute, just without dwelling on any particulars. When I hear just the phrase, the death of Jesus Christ, if I'm honest, I, I realize, well, you know, people die. The death of Jesus, that's not really a startling truth or fact in and of itself, simply because everybody dies. I have that experience. Listen, I go to funerals a lot. It seems like there are stretches of time where there are multiple funerals that we go to in a week. It is a draining time. And for the family, I can only imagine the stress that's involved in being a part of a funeral process, the waiting and the visitation and then the funeral itself and then the period afterward. It is a strain. But what we all realize and experience is that everybody dies. And to talk about the death of Jesus just as a category really doesn't stand all by itself. The reason I say that is because even though Jesus is this great figure, there have been lots of famous people die throughout history. Aristotle died, Plato died, all of the Caesars who considered themselves gods, they, they died. You have religious figures who are still popular even today. People like Buddha, he died. Confucius, he died. Muhammad. No Muslim will argue with you that Muhammad somehow translated and left the bonds of death. They will admit he died and we have his body, or at least the remains of it. Even Marx, who is a questionable figure in history, 
politically and socially, philosophically, as powerful as his notions were, he, like every other famous and important person, at least from the standpoint of history, as every one of them died, so he died too. They all died. Text says Jesus died. But the text says that when he died, he was dying according to the scriptures. I find that pretty significant. But we can look at the life of Jesus, and especially when you read through like the gospel of Matthew. It seems like just about every time you turn around, Matthew is pointing out some aspect of the life of Jesus, some action that was taken or some event that transpired that points to an Old Testament passage being fulfilled. So we can go through those elements or we can go to the Old Testament itself and we can muse about the fulfillment of Scripture. We can think about Paul's statement concerning Christ being the seed in Galatians 3 and verse 16. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 22, 16 to 18. Find out that there is a promise made to Abraham about the seed, singular, and find out that's Christ. I, I get it. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those passages, but he says in his death, he is fulfilling those things. And my mind immediately goes to the death of Jesus. And I mean, as he is hanging on that cross, Jesus is still speaking from that vantage point as he's hanging there in agony, already gone through an incredible scourging and the process of trying to carry that cross and just falling underneath the burden and the weight of it, physically deteriorating in everybody's presence. And yet, as he's hanging on that cross, still has the ability to focus himself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and even in that moment, and subsequent moments, fulfilling scripture. As Jesus looks down at the foot of the cross, he sees those soldiers, those Roman soldiers, who in just in his presence, in, in an action of disrespect, are gambling for his last viable piece of clothing. But as they are doing that, it is as though Jesus is as a whole looking over the despised situation of all humanity. And as he's dying on that cross, lingering still, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. No truer statement has ever been made. Not simply, literally, of those soldiers who are at the foot of that cross, but even of us as we are reading through that text. People who, in a, in a moment of dedication, have sat down with their, the Word of God laying open, we're reading through it, we see Jesus making those statements, and then we examine ourselves, Lord, how is it that I, in this time, over 2,000 years removed, continue to commit sin that is worthy of such a statement? Father, Ken doesn't know what he's doing. Father Steve, he's just made another mistake, one in the world. Lord, help us. As Jesus takes his eyes from that central moment of those right there at his feet, here are these criminals, one on the left hand and the one on the right. One is blaspheming and the other is giving tribute to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, today, 
you will be with me in paradise. As Jesus turns then from that criminal who now is in anticipation of a greater end, he sees out there in the audience. Yeah, an audience, people gathered to see the spectacle. Of course, not among them are the bulk of his disciples, but yet there remains one, John. And to John, Jesus makes eye contact and he says to him, as Mary, his own mother, is stationed beside him, behold your mother. Isn't that an amazing thought that Jesus in anguish hanging on the cross, bearing the sin of the whole world, not just that which had been and that which was, but that which would be. You and I, our sins there on Jesus. Jesus has a moment of responsibility as he looks upon his mother and he thinks, you know, I, I got to take care of that blessed woman. She has carried the burden of this knowledge all of her life. And now look at her agonizing as she sees me, the Lamb of God, who is taking away the sin of the world. But for her, that's her, that's her little baby there. That's her child. Behold your mother, he says to John. And back to John, he says, or back to his mother, behold your son. Mother, I want to take care of you in this moment as I move on toward the moment of my death. And then as Jesus' eyes are lifted from that, he thinks about, you know, his own relationship with his mother and seeing to her care and the relationship, the close bond of a mother with that child and the agonizing years of pain and anguish, seeing the things that befell him. Ultimately, now he's hanging on this cross. And wouldn't the thought just come to mind? Here, I'm caring for my mother and interested in what's her end. And then I think about my state. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as God watches over his son, it isn't just the fainting or the lagging or the passing moments now. Here's the great thing about Jesus. Jesus, as he is on this cross, physically perishing, is still, it's like in his mind, he's so calculating. Okay, now, you know, I was born virgin, check, prophecies fulfilled, you know, I, I, I preached to the multitudes. I shared with them the truths of the kingdom of God. Check. I, I have anticipated my end and I, I've, I've told my disciples to prepare themselves for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide them and I'm going to be with the Father. Check. All these things in line now. Here he is on the cross. Everything that has led up to this moment. Fulfillment of scripture. Is there anything left? And then it comes to mind. Wait a minute. You know, there, there is that passage from Psalm 69, verse 21, that here I am on this cross, I'm going to be thirsting, and then I'm going to express my desire, my agony, and this parching desire for something to quench my thirst. They'll give me vinegar to drink. Oh, I thirst, he says. Even in those moments of stress and strain, ever concerned about the fulfillment of Scripture. And then as though those words are just leaving his lips and the satisfaction of those things which had been anticipated from the very beginning. Now he says, it is finished. I've accomplished it. And then that father that 
he questioned about having forsaken him. He turns again his attention. And he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Yeah, Jesus died just like everybody dies. But Jesus died in the fulfillment of scripture. Jesus died in the fulfillment of that which he came to do. John chapter 1 verse 23, as the the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then, not only is there the death, there is the burial of Jesus. Well, okay. Yeah, Jesus was buried. Buried in a borrowed tomb. But back up from that again, and let's just ask, is the idea that Jesus was buried that terribly significant in and of itself? Because I know just as you do that when someone dies, we bury them. That has been the experience in every single case thus far. And whether that is burying them in a coffin and putting them in the ground, whether that is some kind of entombment, whether it is by means of cremation, something is done with the body and it's disposed of. Jesus died and then they buried him. And that, that body that they buried that's laying there in that tomb lifeless for three days, was bearing all the scars of betrayal, of having been forsaken, and having been abused by his accusers. There are a lot of those events surrounding Jesus and the moments that led up to his actually being crucified and of dying there on that cross. But there is an event, I don't know if it's like that for you or not, but I'll just tell you that when I think of this particular moment I'm about to share with you, to me, it's, it's, more, it's more personal, it's more of an affront to Jesus than even the public display of him being on that cross. And and that is those moments prior to that. Uh, The text is Matthew chapter 27. And I'm just looking at a short little section, verses 27 to 31. But in that moment, Jesus is taken, right? The trial is already finished. And now we're beginning the process of his death. These Roman soldiers take him into the praetorium, And the Bible says that when they're there, the entire garrison surrounds him. Like dogs that have surrounded their victim. And the victim, you know, just can't can't tell where the next attack is going to come from. As he's there in the center of that circle, the Bible says that they stripped him of his clothes. They twisted a crown of thorns and they put it upon his head. They took a a reed, a switch. They put it in his right hand. They put a scarlet robe on his shoulders. They bowed the knee and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! 
Then they spit on him. They took the reed out of his hand and they hit him in the head with it. When they mocked him some more, then they took the scarlet robe off of him, put his own clothes on him, and then led him away to be crucified. Now, what I mean by that moment being so personal is that, well, first of all, just, you know, the closeness of it, the insult to injury, the mockery of the Son of God in those close confines. He doesn't respond. He doesn't defend himself. He just bears the reproach. But more personal than just the image is the knowledge that it wasn't just was it just the Jews who had set up that trial and had essentially forced him into this position? Or even of those Romans who, who, like, who like vile and angry dogs were taking advantage of a weakened man in the midst of that circle of the garrison of soldiers. But I know that as much as the Jews and the Romans were all participants in that event, that Jesus is there not just because of them and not just because of the Roman affront, but he's there because of me. That's what's personal about all of the insults and, and of the actions that are perpetrated against him. It, as, it is as though by my sin I am doing those things to Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, when Peter was laying the accusations out to the crowd that had assembled there on the day of Pentecost, he had talked about the Christ having come and the fulfillment of all these scriptures. And in verse 23, he says that all of this had happened according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, but that they had with, with wicked and sinful hands taken him and crucified the Son of God. That it might have been because of God's plan that the Christ had to die, but you were complicit in that. So I look back at those Jews and I say, yeah, they were complicit. I mean, they actually did those things. Literally took Jesus. Literally trumped up these charges. Literally handed him off to the Romans and they crucified him. But I also realize that Jesus is there as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is there for me. But he's there for me because I'm a sinner. Therefore, he's there because I commit sin. And I put him there. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Don't miss that. On your own, you're apart from God. On your own, you're still in sin. It's because of Jesus that we are able to be brought nigh to God. He died on that cross because of my sin. Or I think about Romans 6, or Romans 5, verses 6 and following. That when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our sins put Jesus on that cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He, God, made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Not apart from him, but only in him. Sure, Jesus died and he was buried. He was buried like everybody else is buried. But when Jesus died and he was buried, he was not placed in that tomb because of his own sin. He wasn't guilty of some crime of his own. He was put in that tomb because of the sin that I commit and the sin that you commit. Because the only satisfaction of the dead of God is the shedding of blood. And Jesus shed that blood so that all of us could be redeemed, have our sins forgiven and be reconciled to God. So there's the death of Jesus. There's the burial of Jesus. And of course, there is the resurrection of Jesus. Well, here again, you know, I would like to say that Jesus is the only one who's ever been resurrected from the dead. But actually, that, that would not be true. There were several people who were resurrected from the dead before Jesus was and after Jesus was. Back in the time of Elijah, Elijah raised a widow's son from the dead. And not to be outdone, Elisha, he comes along and he also raises from the dead the Shunammite woman's son. Then when Elisha dies and he's put in his tomb, his body is there resting and decaying. And these folks come along, they're kind of running from their enemies. It's a moment of peril and one of their friends dies. They take the body and they just kind of throw it there in Elisha's tomb. And don't you know that his body touched Elisha's bones and he came back to life. 2 Kings chapter 13, resurrected from the dead. No word spoken of him. He just fell in the right place in the room and there he was resurrected to life. Wow. When Jesus came along, you know, he raised Jairus' son. He also raised a widow's son. And most famously, Jesus resurrected his own friend Lazarus from the dead to demonstrate that not just in the end resurrection, but even in the very moment of Lazarus's death, that Jesus, just as much as he will be in the end, so he was at the present, the resurrection and the life. And he brought Lazarus forth from that tomb. You know, even when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, according to Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 and 53, there were many saints who were resurrected on the very same day. Jesus so powerfully burst through the doors, the gates of Hades, that you couldn't even hold back several who rushed the gates at the same time. Wow. And then Peter, the apostle, he raised Dorcas from the dead in Acts chapter 9. 
And maybe you also think that it's, it's somewhat humorous since we end up with a positive note, but Eutychus, who had been listening to the preaching of the Apostle Paul until midnight, fell asleep and fell out of the top story window and was taken up dead. And Paul had to resurrect that man from the dead to restore his life. Resurrection. I mean, it's unusual, but Jesus isn't the only one who has ever resurrected. Lots of people. Here's the thing about that. Yeah, Jesus was resurrected like some others were, but there is one part of that that's much different from all the rest. And that is all those other folks, once they lived their second uh, stint on this earth and died, it was all over. They lived, they were resurrected, they lived some more, and then they died. Jesus, when he was resurrected from the dead, continues to live, never to die again. Actually, in this very same text, we're looking at the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15, but, you know, beginning at verse 5, Paul goes on to give several witnesses to the fact that Jesus had literally risen from the dead and he had been handled by all these people. First of all would be Cephas, you know, Peter, one of the apostles, one of the closest friends of Jesus. He was a witness to that, as were the twelve, and then 500 disciples all at one time, some of which had passed, but still some who were living. You could, if you lived in that time, go and question them about what they saw and heard. He talks about James having been a witness as well. That would have been the brother of Jesus. Who better to testify to the validity of Jesus' resurrection than his brother himself? And then, of course, the 12 as a whole, all of the apostles, and then Paul says, I saw him too, as one born out of due time. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, never to die again. And to boot, not only did he never die again, but the apostles saw Jesus' resurrection. The gospels record that. But in Acts chapter 1, not only is there the recording of it, but the promise by angels that Jesus would return again someday in the same manner in which he left. Well, isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus, as he prepared his own disciples for his Crucifixion. He's about to leave them. In John chapter 14, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. For where I go, you know, and the way you know. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm coming again to receive you to myself. The anticipation, not just of Jesus having been resurrected, but of going to the Father and then someday returning for us. Yeah, there have been people who died and then were resurrected only to die again. But Jesus continues to live and by virtue of the fact that Jesus continues to live, we have the expectation of a life beyond this one. That is made possible 
through a likeness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, mentioned in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Today, we can take advantage of the life that continues with Jesus through our own death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. In Acts chapter 8, there's a beautiful story of an Ethiopian eunuch who had gathered a text of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 53 is the text he is looking at currently, and he's reading verses 7 and 8. Philip is instructed by the Spirit to join himself to that chariot, and a conversation ensues. And as he reads from Isaiah chapter 53, Philip demonstrates to him the fulfillment of those passages, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. Jesus is the one suffering, the suffering servant of this text. Well, that eunuch was curious about that. Is he talking about himself, the writer, Isaiah, or somebody else? No, it, it's Jesus. And as they continued talking about Jesus, no doubt the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as we've talked about today, the fulfillment of all those scriptures, even to practically the very last breath of Jesus on the cross, to be certain that all was fulfilled. Philip says, the one that we're reading about, it is that Christ the death, burial, and resurrection. No doubt Philip had instructed him about the connection with baptism because the next thing we know as they're traveling down the road, the Ethiopian eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip says to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Listen, that message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in all its component parts, we may be able to see some similarities. But when you gather all of those things together, you see the only means by which an erring sinner can be brought into the presence of God. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, through the process of baptism, the burying in the water, and the rising up to newness of life, we have the forgiveness of sins by the washing away of those sins by the blood of Jesus. If you're a child of God, you've gone through that process. God help us that we not see ourselves with that crowd of soldiers as angry dogs taking advantage of Jesus and persecuting him with our sin. And if that has been our walk, then surely today we ought to confess that and repent. But if you're not a child of God today, Jesus died for you. His death, his burial, and his resurrection literally took place over 2,000 years ago. But today, that death, burial, and resurrection can take place today, and you be a part of it. You can have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus momentarily upon your confession 
that he is the son of God. Is there anybody who fits that category today? See, here's water. What would hinder you from being baptized? Nothing. If you need to respond today, why don't you? Come forward while we stand together and sing.
groups only of the old rugged, rugged, old rugged cross. And then we will If you have not uh, have the emblems for the Lord's Supper, if you would raise your hands, our ushers will go down the aisles to provide it to you at this time. If we open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23, it reads, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat it, eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This time that we set aside for each service is an opportunity for us to reflect. You may reflect back upon the cross where he gave everything that we hold so dear today. We may reflect back to his resurrection as Brother Ken preached about today. We can also reflect on how we proclaim his Proclaim him as we look to one another side by side as we all partake of this meal together. You may look forward to how we're going to serve because when Christ took this meal, he knew what he was about to do. He knew how he was about to serve and fulfill his purpose for the Lord. I pray that as we partake of this Lord's Supper today that we'll reflect on those things, that we will reflect on what he did for us and what we can do back for him. Would you bow with me as we bless this? Father God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. 
we thank you for the sacrifice that he gave, the body that he gave that we partake of in this bread. Father, we pray that we will do this in a manner that's worthy before your sight, and that we will live lives that are worthy before you. Father God, bless us in this partaking, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Bow with me as we go back to our Father. Father God, we reflect back now upon that cross that Jesus was hung upon and not only his body that was given, but his blood that was spilled. That perfect sacrifice that gives us hope for a home in heaven to see him by your side, Father. Father God, bless this fruit of the cup. Father God, may we partake it in a worthy manner. May we seek to serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, we set aside a time to give back to the Lord how He has richly blessed us. We now have that opportunity. You see on the screen behind me. The various ways that you may uh, give back to the Lord, both here in person or uh, if you're worshiping with us online, you can donate online. Uh, if you would, uh, uh, bow with me as we bless this, uh, this offering. Father God, we are so thankful for the blessings and the, that you provide us financially each and every uh, week, Father, and each and every month, each and every day. We pray that we'll set aside a portion of what you bless us with that we can give back to you so that it can further your kingdom and your work and that we know every good and perfect gift that we have is from you. Father God, help us to give back with a cheerful heart. Help us to always be giving sacrificially. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Some of you saw Brian and Gay leave here during the sermon. Um, Brian got news that his sister Linda passed away. So can we just, can we have a prayer for them right now? Our Father, we come before you grateful as your children, but a part of a family that loves you. And uh, when there are times of rejoicing, we all rejoice together. And when there are times of sorrow, well, we sorrow together. And Father, we pray for Brian and his family and this death that has just occurred. We pray, Lord, that you will bring comfort to them. Uh, be, with, be with Brian and Gay and I, I guess the rest of the family as they're driving together to a central location. I, I just pray, Lord, you'll keep them safe and uh, pray, Lord, that you'll use us to be a source of encouragement and comfort to all of them. Lord, thank you for this fellowship that surrounds us in our needy times. And we just pray for the Rolands in this moment. And thank you, Father, for all that you'll do uh, through us, using us for that purpose and what you'll do through others. In Jesus' name, amen. Didn't want to put all this on Brother Sweeney. So last leader's kickoff is tonight. Uh, and I want to make sure we 
That is clear, and uh, everybody understands what's going to happen. It is, there is a theme to it, uh, building godly leaders, and uh, we may have some Legos associated with this event tonight, so hope you'll uh, come out. And if this is for everybody who is interested in Lazar Leaders, who wants to know more about Lazar Leaders, or who is going to Lazar Leaders, if you can make it, tonight is for you. Uh, we're going to have pizza and chips and drinks. We're going to have a time of fellowship. But more importantly, we're going to uh, provide some information and get ourselves ready to go for the 2022-23 Lazar Leaders uh, uh, year. So last thing, I have one more request. If you are coming tonight, if you don't mind uh, making or picking up a dessert, that would be awesome. I know the kids and maybe an adult or two would appreciate that. And then lastly, if you are an event leader, I'm going to be down front. It's not a meeting. I just need you to pass by me so I can hand you something. And um, if you even think you're an event leader, pass by me so we can have a quick conversation. Uh, and then the, we'll be ready for tonight. Okay? Thank you very much. Good morning. You're visiting with us this morning. We are glad that you've chosen to take that time to be with us. We invite you to come back anytime you can. Had 308 at worship service this morning. Have just a few announcements. The Golden Circle will be eating breakfast together at the pit stop tomorrow morning. The bus will leave around 8.30 a.m. Also, the Golden Circle will be going to Joe Wheeler State Park Marina for an hour and a half boat tour of Wheeler Lake this Thursday September the 29th. The cost is $20 per person for the tour. We will eat lunch together at Newburn's Restaurant in Florence following the tour. Please sign the list in the foyer. I hope I'm not but just a few years away from being able to join that bunch. They have a lot of fun, have a lot of fun together. Also, uh, be mindful of the bulletin, uh, bulletin in front of you. Uh, there's several on our sick list. Uh, Several announcements. I'll go over a few of them for just in case those that are viewing from home today could not make it today, but may be able to make it to some of these events. Uh, devotional at the Landmark Nursing Home and Rehab is today at 4 o'clock. Zion's Rest is in charge. Also, we will take a group to the gospel meeting at North Ryanji Church of Christ tomorrow night. We'll leave from the annex or at 630. Also, everyone is invited to the 100th birthday celebration for our sister Eugenia Kaiser next Sunday, October the 2nd from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the annex. Uh, it says, please, no gifts. Also, there's a baby boy gift table in the foyer for the newest Brumley bundle of joy. Gifts, cards, diapers, and wipes, fragrance-free, are requested. Also, our fall giveaway day is Saturday, October the 1st from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the closed closet. See Andrea Barrett or Sonia Holloway if you need any more details on this. The weekly food pantry item this week is canned meat. The food pantry and closed closet will be open October the 13th and the 20th. Uh, also, the Saving One Soul ministry bags are available in the foyer. Everyone's encouraged to pick up bags and hand them out. Uh, and also a reminder, there's a Bible class teachers meeting Sunday, October the 30th at 3.30 p.m. in the Annex. That's all the announcements I have. If you'll bow with me, I'll dismiss us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful again for an opportunity we've had to come and worship you in song and praise. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Brother Ken and his ability to deliver your word in a spiriting and encouraging manner. 
Father, we ask you to continue to be with the elders of the church that they may continue to lead us in a way that pleasing unto thee and in, in, in return your numbers grow. Father, we're so thankful for the blessings in life that you've given us. Help, Father, help us to take the time to realize those blessings, whether they're big or small. Father, we ask that you go with us throughout our everyday life and help us to live it in a manner that will be pleasing unto thee. Father, as we've mentioned, we ask a special prayer for the Roland family, and we ask that you comfort them as only you can in their time of need. Father, most of all, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross that we may have forgiveness for our sins and the opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>